This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. All right. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I am so happy to be here. Um, I'm losing my voice a little bit, not because I'm sick, but because I just got back from a Tony Robbins conference where I did way too much yelling. So I've lost my voice, but it was really, really amazing. Anyway, I'm super excited about today's podcast because this is my first mother and daughter podcast coming on to share. So welcome to Jesse and Peggy. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you Thank you for having us. So I thought what would be awesome um, is, you know, we could kick off with like, why don't you guys just sort of tell us, you know, each of you sort of introduce yourself a bit and then Peggy will, will go into your story. And I would love that. And Jesse, you could even start with how you found me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, man, it's a really, really cool story. So um, Annie and I are mentored and coached by the same business coach and um, there's a lot of people who are involved in in that community. So I didn't know her personally. I didn't know her story, but our business coach had mentioned something about Annie and what she did. And it just really perked my ears because um, for so long, my mom had struggled with alcoholism and listening to um, what our business coach had to say about her, I was really interested. And so um, that's when I looked you up and I started to kind of just stalk you and figure out what, what the heck it was that you did. And it was, it was cool because as I started to read into your methodology and get your book and just listen to your podcast and, and learn about you and your, your approach to helping people who struggle with alcoholism, it resonated so much because I help women who struggle with binge, emotional, compulsive overeating, and I use very, very similar, I mean, the same science, we just use, you know, we just focus on a different issue, and it excited me so much, because all I've ever wanted to do is help and support my mom to find a solution, and we've, we just continued to come up short, and, and in understanding the science, as I started to dive into the psychology of eating, it started to make sense, you know, how these struggles were, you know, similar. Addiction is addiction, regardless of what it is. And so um, anyways, I got really excited and I, I bought your book and I decided, you know what? I asked my mom, hey, would you be interested in doing this course? And she was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna buy it for her. And I bought the course and I said, here mom, here's the login. And I kind of just left it at that because I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to be a support and um, allow her to, to take her own time and what, whenever she decided, um, eventually mom. Yes. In, right. <laughs> That's I awesome. Did. Um, it and took then- me a while. I was taking care of my mother at that time and she, she was very sick with dementia. It's just, a, you know, it's just one of those things. But when Jesse bought me the course, I was busy with my mom and I just remember her saying, Oh mom, I bought your book. And then the book came in the mail, and then I got the card, a little card from Annie with the bracelet. And I thought, oh, this is nice. And I just kind of set it aside because I had my own other things going on, which I thought was worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't really do anything with it at first. And, you know, this was when my mom was getting worse and worse. And then I remember Jesse at one point, I don't even remember where we were, but she said, I bought you this course that goes along with it. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. You know, and I didn't really think anything of it because again, I was taking care of mom and still drinking and caught up in my own problems, my own little world here. So then I don't remember exactly when, I think it was after mom died finally. Was it Jesse when my mother passed away last June? Yeah. And I think maybe coming home for a funeral. I don't know. That's all kind of blurry, but then I got into it and she bought me the intensive, correct? Is that how that yeah. was? Yes. Okay. If you got the bracelet and the card, that's I send those out for the intensive. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I don't know the words exactly which program <laughs> is, so forgive me there. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so to be real honest, you know, almost all my time was up, but you were graceful enough to help me, you know, get back into it. So the money wouldn't just have gone by the wayside. So then I dove in after mom and after, um, 
going home and settling the estate and just kind of coming back here, I really dove into it when I came back last October after the funeral and just all of that. So I really started on my journey about last September. Oh, that's amazing. And I just have to say, Peggy, like you, like you, I, I do think we can feel energy even through a Zoom call or through the internet, but like your energy is just so light and fresh and just like peaceful and happy. I really, um, it's amazing. And so what I'd love to do is have you kind of walk us back sort of to the very beginning for you. I mean, when, when did you take your first drink? How old were you? What were, what was the circumstances? I was seven. Seven. And I, I mean, but then I stopped for a whole seven years. <laughs> I mean, I remember. Well, good job. I grew up on a farm in an alcoholic environment. We were mm -hmm. very, very poor. So I was the youngest of five. And my mom and dad lived on a farm with his mom and dad and his brother. So my dad... Uh, my grandpa and my uncle were all severe alcoholics. So ever uh, from my first remembrance of anything, alcohol was a part of my life, a very strong, negative, violent part of my life. Um, so that's all I really knew, Annie, was just that this is the way it was. I grew up with screaming, night sleeps, nights where I couldn't sleep and I had to get up and go to school the next day just because it was more peaceful to be at school than to be in that environment. So starting at like even three, four, I remember alcohol, but I took my first drink at seven when my sisters and I were out in the yard and we must have run into their stash somewhere because <laughs> it was all over the farm. You just had to look a little, I guess. <clears throat> um, and I remember feeling the buzz off of one. I only had one beer. I didn't even drink the whole thing at seven. I'm sure you wouldn't need to. But I remember do feeling a buzz from it. And then I thought, okay, this is what the men feel like. This is mm. what it's like. Okay. So is this, you know, and I always wanted to be loved and accepted, which when you're in an alcoholic environment, it's not very loving because there's just too much drama all the time. Mm -hmm. Um so that was my first experience with it. And then uh, no more until I got into high school. And then in high school, I became a weekend binge partier. We'd just go for it on Friday and Saturday, and then I'd be fine all through the week. And that's how my career started. Mm -hmm. And it was a career because it lasted me 40 some years. <laughs> and then so, so high school, um, then what happened after high school? High school, everyone seemed to go their own ways. All my friends went their different avenues, and I didn't have a plan. I had no plan. I was like, now what am I going to do? So I just ended up getting a, a nothing job, you know, just minimum wage job. And I just continued on my own road of just not having a plan for life. And that road took me just to... I was doing in high school and I was partying and now my drinking probably in my 20s was not just the weekend it evolved into weeknights as well and you know when you're on your own you can go out whenever you want unfortunately so you were you moved out of your house after yes, high school I was on my own at 18 I left the farm I think the day after I graduated I packed up and yeah that sounds away. like a very relatable story and very true for a lot of people who are in that yeah. environment just yeah why would you stay when you can leave right yeah and so I didn't really have something. a plan and I've just left and then I just kind of continued on that road of just kind of like drifting through life basically with no plan but alcohol was always by my side and emotionally how what was your state like were you um, feeling pretty peaceful or were you distressed a lot of the time? I mean, you seem so just happy and bubbly and you really have a zest for life. Was that, was that true then? Oh, well, I mean, you know, it's hard to think back 40 years. Um, I maybe portrayed that mm. the viewing public, you know, because nobody knew, well, until the end of my drinking career or towards the last third, two thirds of it, you know, I probably had it what was somewhat under control. 
So nobody knew. I felt lonely. I think a al- person who has gone to alcohol is a very lonely, lonely person inside. And that's just kind of their answer to relieve the pain. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, um, and so in your 20s, then obviously you have a daughter. So how did that all come about? Okay, let, let me go through my 20s a little bit. Um, I had two, two failed marriages that first one oh, included a lot of drugs and alcohol, unfortunately. And the second one, I married an alcoholic. And that was about all of my 20s. I stayed with somebody that just, I, it was a foolish thing, but I was chasing this dad dream. I look back and it's like, I just wanted the dad love, which I never had mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up at home. So I hooked up with this guy and he was a severe alcoholic. And I stayed with him all through, pretty much through my 20s or later 20s. And then I just went off on my own and I had a really good job at this point. Um, and I focused on my work, but I st- now I had more money so I could party even more. So I was going out all the time with my friends. We, our jobs were great. We worked eight to four and at four fifteen we were at the pub partying weekdays. You know, you'd go to happy hour from four to by six o'clock you were toast. You know, you go home next day, get up, go to work, meet everybody. And it just, that just became the vicious cycle. Yeah, and, I can relate to that. That was very much my story as well. Yeah. And um, one good thing did come out of that vicious cycle of that hub where, pub where I used to party. I met Jesse's dad there. Oh, amazing. I was at a wedding reception and I was playing shuffleboard with the, um, groom and his wife came over and said you know cliff um we need to go on our honeymoon now can you quit playing shuffleboard with your best friend so he looked over at todd jesse's dad who was watching us play shuffleboard and said i gotta leave can you please take over for me and that was how jesse came into the picture and look how you light up when you talk about him that's amazing well jesse is the light of my life Oh, so, so that's what um that was my 20s and then Todd and I got together and we both partied we were both partiers and um that was not a good scene for both of us because we were fuel on fire our personalities didn't I mean I love him so much and I support him and his new wife now but we just weren't good for each other yeah yeah. So then it continued on. Um, oh, geez, it just it continues to get worse, though, actually. Um, and so tell us a little bit about that. Is there any moments in, in that, um, you know, Jesse's young, uh, especially like just before you guys separated or, or after that, that you just really felt like, okay, things need to change? And when, when did you start to think like, okay, I want to change this? Oh, all the time. I mean, all the time to myself, but you don't go talk to everyone saying, man, I'm drinking too much. You know, I really need to slow down here. You know, hey, what are you doing at four? Let's go have a drink. You, you know, right. you, you, you hide your drinking because you're ashamed of it. And I was ashamed of my drinking my whole life, but it's, it got me. It hooked me early. So yeah. all, my, all my drinking career, I knew this wasn't good. I ignored it, though because it, it seemed to give me what I was lacking. But that was such false hope, because the next day, all your problems are there. Everything's there. I tried AA. And you know, I know it's helped millions. I know it has. It, it is not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It was to me very clickish. You're either in or out of AA as I found out, and I wasn't one that fit in their circle. It just didn't work for me, but I know it does work because I've seen it work. Um, So I thought after that, maybe I'm hopeless. Mm. Maybe I am one of those that's just going to be my, like my uncle. My dad finally quit drinking when, when I left the house, the last one to leave the house and then he quits drinking. Thanks. Um, but I thought maybe I'm going to be like my uncle and maybe I'm just going to die and I'll die from alcohol. And I kind of just accepted it. 
that this was just going to be what it is. And I kept going down that route. Um, oh, well, I ended up, let's see, when Jesse's dad and I split up, I actually ended up homeless. Um, living on a corner, that's how bad it got. I'd go to work in the morning and they'd have my suitcase after work. And I didn't know where everyone would get in their cars and go home. I didn't even have a car. Um, it was tough for a while. It was really tough, but I guess that's when I found that, you know, I can do anything when you get homeless. And I did lose Jesse in the battle. Um, your dad um, took me to, he told me that I'd abandoned you, Jess, but I didn't. And I had to fight to get you back, but I did. And I had to fight the courts to get my name off the record that I was an abandoning mother because you were, I would never let go of you. So through all of that, I was able to pick up those pieces. Um, I fought, I met Andy um, from work who I am with now 20 some years later. Oh, there you go, lighting up again. fell in love with me the moment he saw me. Um, so he was really the one to help Jesse and me survive all this. Um, let's see. Yeah, he took me in and he, on the weekends when I could go to Denver and get Jesse, um, I just started my plan to um, work on clearing my name so you would never grow up thinking I abandoned you because I didn't. Yeah. But I got all that straight, but my drinking career just continued. I guess I kind of got to the point I was just defeated. I mean, and it's like, okay, now that I got Jesse back, I'm just going to carry on where I left off. And that was not good. My drinking got worse and worse and worse. But I will say mom, like despite all of the, like all of the struggles and all of the challenges and like all of the heartache, I like, I had such a good childhood. Yes. you. I would say in most ways you did. Yeah. The one thing I can't um, quite forgive myself yet is the hurt I caused you. If I could take all of that back, I would, but I can't. And I have to live with it and forgive myself because I would never, ever have hurt you. So Peggy, um, I just want to chime in a bit because... Uh -huh. Like, you have to know that, like, oh, man, you're seven. I'm what? You're 14. And you, you have been doing the best you can yes. with the things you have. That, that nothing changes the core of that. And I know a little bit about the impact Jessie's making in the world. Yes. And I can promise you one thing. She would not be changing the life she's changing without that hurt. That hurt is a gift. It's it, a gift. It is a sorrowful thankful gift yes gift. all of our hurts and pains create who we are to help build a better tomorrow i believe truly believe in that because if life was good we would have no basis of comparison absolutely and now she is is strong and has overcome her own things to go on and help women who are just desperate and in so much pain and like she couldn't do that if she had if she didn't have the hurt like, this isn't you. You were an instrument, and it doesn't feel good to be an instrument of pain in somebody's life, but I can tell you, my mother was an instrument, and there were painful things, but, like, I blame her, blame her for who I am today, and with all the love in my heart, because I'm so happy with who I am today, you know? Yes. It's like, yes. blame me the right way. Yes, so. and um, I, you know, everything in your life, I believe, happens on course as it is meant to. Um, my course, however, wasn't for me to fortune, unfortunately be able to stop alcohol until this time in my life. And maybe had I done it sooner, I, tr I truly want to um, 
pass it forward. So maybe if I'd been there sooner, I might not have been able to, but I cherish the gift now that I have. Um, every day is a journey. I'm not there. I'm on the road to being there. Absolutely. None of us so, are there. There's no there. There is no there just because we're on a destination called life. So um, I'm very thankful for you, for your book, for your classes. Um, it's just, it's been a life changer. It's it so really good. has, Annie. That's amazing. It, you know, growing up, mom, it was like, I, you are literally the strongest person I know. And I wish I could be there to hold your hand. <laughs> despite despite the struggles and despite, you know, the, like when I started to understand, when I started to get old enough to understand what was going on, you know, it was like, I'm sure you felt the same way at, you know, being at home feeling like, well, why, like, they don't love me enough to stop drinking, you know? And, and, you know, I felt that like, doesn't, like, doesn't she love me more than she loves alcohol? And, you know, but I continued to feel your love despite the struggles. And so I want you to know that I always felt your love, even in my frustration, even in my pain, even in my questioning. And it was like, you know, it's, and this is a thing I think everybody needs to hear who is struggling because, you know, in, in the women that, that I work with that struggle, it's like the guilt and the shame is so heavy, but you can be an addict and you can be a wonderful mom, you know, and like you gave me a wonderful childhood and it just hurt to, you know, to see you hurting and to have all of these questions and all of these fears, like, is she going to be okay? Is she going to be okay? Um, and, but I just want you to know that you, like, there can be both and there can be the pain and there can be the fear and there can be the hurt and there can also be the beauty and all of the memories that we had and all of the, you know, all of the great things that came out of, you know, out of my childhood. So I, I, I agree with Annie that without that hurt, without that pain, like I wouldn't know the gift of, you know, freedom. Like I turned to food to cope and to manage and to numb out and to overcome that and to just see that, hey, freedom is possible. Like I wouldn't know all of this or have the compassion for those who struggle with these things that I once was like, just stop. And it's not, you, it's not, like that you know you have to be educated on how to do that so i just want you to know mom that that i had a despite the hurt despite the pain and the fear that i dealt with i also i always knew that you loved me and i always knew that you believed in me and so i think it's just important to say that both of those things can exist and you know for the people who are struggling and feel the guilt towards their you know with their kids and with their family and they're, they're carrying the weight of that guilt it's like know that that the addiction doesn't make you a bad person. It, yes, no, no. it hurts people around you, but it doesn't make you a bad person. And it's like, you have to let go of that belief because otherwise you're just drowning in the weight of all of the shame and the guilt, which just continues to fuel the, the cycles. And had I known how many people, until I met Annie, I had no idea how bad alcohol, alcoholism is in the world. I'm angered at how they're targeting young kids. Um, they're setting us up. I have to take full responsibility for grabbing the bottle. However, it was put out there, it's marketed. I see it everywhere now that Annie's pointed it out to me. You literally can't get away from seeing it everywhere and it's so sick that they want us to pick it up and become addicted and it's it's the number one ad spend nothing's spent more ads sometimes vehicles edit shit out especially around the holidays but mostly it's alcohol that's where the most ad dollars are spent they have psychologists and psychiatrists on staff at the ad agencies that create yeah. the ads they, I've talked to people inside who have left because alcohol has then taken them down and they've gotten free through this naked mind. 
and have told me that they would sit around and brainstorm how they could create more of an emotional connection and a point of need and how they could specifically produce new things like Trulies to target women or like, you know, back in the day, um, wine, uh, what were they called? Wine, no, wine coolers to target children. Like wine oh. coolers weren't meant for adults. They were meant to lower the drinking age to make it more palatable. And, and the first thing I drink was a wine cooler way before I was 21. And that's true for most of my friends. And um, there's, there's intent there, right? But again, even there, we have to extend grace because they are also thinking this is just my job. I'm doing the best. They, they're not seeing the heartbreak of a seven-year-old in an alcoholic farmhouse, right? They're, they're not experiencing that. And so we are just humans doing the best. So we can't, we can't, get ourselves stuck in a place of blame, but we also need to, and especially for everybody who's listening, let yourselves off the hook. I mean, like really put down those weapons of blame and shame because it, there's nothing, there's nothing that will keep you stuck faster. And I have these studies on my desk because I've been really going deep into this aspect of it. And it's, it's, it's hidden in a lot of the literature, but it keeps coming up over and over that when we have a compassion-led and a grace-led process through this, and that means compassion for yourself when you go do the horrible thing, when you pick it back up, when you go make the mistakes, you shorten the time between where you are and where you want to be. And that is just so being definitively true. And the, the next thing I'll say about this is that you know, they've done studies with mice, right? And they have given mice alcohol. First of all, they just turn their noses up it because instinctually they don't want to drink it because they realize it's poison. And even true for us, if we were given real ethanol, which is what is an alcohol, mm -hmm. same stuff that goes in your gas tank, we turn our noses up at it. But we mix it with wine coolers and all this sugar and all this flavorings and then make it palatable. And, um, and then the mice <clears throat> had to be force fed it but when mice are exposed to an addictive substance, um, especially if they're exposed, by the way, to an addictive substance while they're in a stressful situation, like I can imagine your childhood was, they 100% of the time get addicted. There's not exceptions. So this idea that we've created these people who get addicted and these people who drink normally and don't, which by the way, Peggy, has created the shame you felt in talking about you drinking too much, which by the way, kept you stuck, is like total BS and has got to go away because that is just not true. And what happens in the brain, and this is where people need to get this on the deepest level and forgive themselves, is that biochemically in the brain, when you are in pain or when you overconsume a substance that stimulates your pleasure centers in that way, your brain takes that substance and from a survival perspective, puts it above your other needs. So above yeah. your need for food, above your need. For, literally, I didn't eat a lot. I drank wine at night and then I drank coffee in the morning until I drank my wine at night. I was what they call drunk orexic. I was so, I weighed 20 pounds less than I do right now. I mean, it was crazy down, right? And um, it puts alcohol above your needs for this. So yeah. There, in these studies with mice, they would put the addicted substance and the mice, the mice would ignore their children. They would walk over things that burned blisters, electrocuted metal grates, burn blisters to get to this stuff. They would starve themselves and ignore the food to continue with the thing that is, is stimulating the, the brain like the addictive substance does. So this is a biochemical thing. This is nobody's fault. It is because you have blood and flesh and bones. And we are not mice. And so when we understand this, we can free ourselves, which is what you've so beautifully done for yourself. Thank you. Yes, um, I think the shame is, I, if anyone listens to this, know you're not alone. Mm. Know that your next door neighbor, somebody you meet in the grocery store, walking down the street is hurting and they're going probably through something similar. So the more awareness we put out there and not make alcohol be shameful that we used to have a problem with it, I think the, it, has to, it has to come of age. It's time. Yep, it's time so it is, it's happening. It's overdue. 
It is happening it, everywhere you look. There's a sober curious, mindful drinking. People are, are talking about it. it. It needs to become a mainstream conversation. This is not, this needs to be a wellness conversation, not an addiction conversation. We need to take right. it out of this. Something's wrong with you. You're an alcoholic or you're not. We need to make this a- We were targeted to become alcoholics. I mean, all of us are, they're not going to make a profit unless we get addicted. Absolutely. I mean, one, one glass of wine, if everybody just went on that one glass of wine occasionally, none of these, um, none of the companies would be in business. They, they could not make their alcohol and sell it. Mm -hmm. And they've made a product that they know is going to hurt us. Mm -hmm. They know it's going to hurt our families. They know it's going to take us down. And I just, and it's normalized. Like that's the thing. It's normalized. They think they well look at Christmas time now. All the wine and celebrating and they don't show the fighting and you know the aftermath. Yeah. That's what they need to show. Yeah. And not only is it normalized, but it is literally you have to justify when you don't do it. Exactly. Exactly. What's wrong with you? Aren't you feeling good? Oh, how come you're not drinking? Yes. You know, how it's come you are? It's not just normalized. It's expected in our society. And that is a very potent, very, very dangerous com combination. And you have to search out for something you like to drink somewhere, you know, that isn't alcohol. And that's not necessarily an easy task because you know when you're drinking alcohol you're drinking one after the other right. maybe for the buzz certainly not for the taste if anyone says it tastes good that's just bs um but we push through the taste just yep. to get the buzz i mean it's like oh this i mean i can't if anyone would admit it d booze does not taste good right um but yeah they've they've targeted us and they've made uh, such such a lucrative business and they've taken down so many families and ours is not Jesse and mine but my family I grew up in it, there's so many alcoholics in it so like, alcohol really captured our family and it's interesting because it's like okay well that must just be genetic it's almost like it's proven that it's just genetic but scientists can't find like the specific gene that is just the alcohol gene right like and so but then if you look at these studies of mice and, you know, interestingly, if you don't force feed it to them, but you put mice in an area where they are fulfilled and connected and safe and then offer them heroin laced water, which is like, you know, addictive on a, on a level that alcohol mm -hmm. much quicker level, um, they don't, they don't do it. They don't go there. They try it and then they leave it alone. If you put the same mice in a scary isolated place they go for it right so then what does that create of course it creates generations <laughs> there's no other outcome but then that perpetuates the myth that there's these certain people who have addictive personalities or addictive natures and like we're just asking the wrong question we're not we're asking what's wrong with me not what's wrong with this fermented liquid in a glass that yeah. as you now if you took out all the mixers you could not actually ingest it without, you couldn't physically have a sip of pure alcohol without making like a face and oh. your body rebelling. No. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just so thankful that um, Jessie found you when she found you. Mm -hmm. And you too have changed my life. You mm -hmm. did it. What? Absolutely. You did it. Well, I wouldn't, I mean, I would not be where I am without you, Jess, and I would not be there without you, Annie. Well, we helped, but we're so honored to help. It's amazing. And you did the hard work. You made the decisions when the rubber hits the road, when you're alone by yourself and you're feeling triggered or uncomfortable. It's just you and you. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really amazed and proud of you. It's incredible. Well, thank you. Um, like I said, every day is a journey. Um, and you can't look at it, am I there yet? Because Absolutely. you're never there. You're just traveling through life. And you got to do the best you can every day with the tools you have. I, know, so what, that, I know that part of my prefrontal cortex probably got screwed up pretty darn good at an early age. My yeah. decision-making center. Yeah. Because 
um, you know, it robs you of those cells, you know, that make the proper decisions for you. Does it not yeah. Does that help you to make the right decisions? Alcohol damages your prefrontal cortex, not only while you're drinking, so it impairs your decision-making ability in the moment, but also over the long term. Exactly. And it can heal. And meditation is one of the best ways to heal it that actually builds that part of the brain. Um, so let me ask you, what, what was it? What were the things, the big ahas that were like, oh my God, this is possible. I mean, was it really just letting go of the guilt and, and, and finding that you're not alone or? Okay, um, let me think about that one for a second. Where was my aha moment? I remember mom, when you had, when you dove in and you were like at your wits end when you started and you dove in. And I remember you telling me like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like all of the things that she was teaching in the course. Like, I can't believe that, um, you know, that, that maybe I'm not, I remember you telling me this, I can't believe that maybe I'm not actually an alcoholic. Like, remember you told me, like, she said that there's, I think the same thing that she just said, that there's no, you know, there's no gene that proves that I'm an alcoholic and somebody is different. And you're like, maybe I'm actually not an alcoholic, but I'm just drinking a lot. Remember when you said that to me? Yeah. And I think once, when you get labeled, when society labels you, or I should say, when one allows society to label you, we all have power to let it label us or not. But when we allow society to label us as something as, you know, an alcoholic, a heroin addict, but you know, there's not a heroin alcoholic or what, however they say it. Um, when we allow society to, when we take on those labels, that again is defeating, it, we're, def we're allowing defeat. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's so fascinating because um, that, that label specifically, it is, it is okay, they, they've done so many studies where if someone will not start something they don't think they can be successful at no matter what it is, if they don't believe they can achieve success, if they don't believe they can change, they won't begin. I was on the plane yesterday next to a gentleman and he asked what we did. And I told him, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I have somebody, um, he started telling me a friend about an alcoholic and the first words out of his mouth, and he's like, I know it's a disease and it will never change. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, let me tell you. No. Yeah. But anyway, that, that idea, when you say I am this and it is a disease and it will never change, and it will be a battle for the rest of my life, that becomes true. And, and so if you don't believe you can change it, well, it will always keep you stuck. It's, it's learned helplessness because you don't think that there is an alternative or you don't think yeah. that there's an option. Yeah. Um, the, the word alcoholic has to go away because it's self-defeating it, it serves no purpose to anything in our society other than labeling people as this group this group those people over there you know um that we're so different than everyone else and we're no different we took a substance not knowing it's true intent for us that they want us to get addicted to it that's the the makers of this alcohol they're not making it just so we can have a good time they're making it to make a profit and yeah. a big one and yeah. the more people they get addicted the more money they're going to make and if we can unlabel alcoholic and get that thought process out of everyone's head to give everyone out there the power that you're not an alcoholic you you aren't if you believe you're not and all you have to do is take that label and throw it away just throw that label away from everything and start fresh from there and some people are very driven by by the no longer have it run my life absolutely good for you that's amazing some people are very live, driven by the label for themselves because that was the point of change was saying okay it was a fear-based change like if i'm this then i can never again drink in safety that's what i've had many people who say i am an alcoholic self-proclaimed will tell me and they say that's why i love this label is because i know 
if I am this, then I can never again drink. And that's the only thing that's keeping me from that. And, and I feel like if, if, if that's where you need to live, right. That's right. fine. That's, but the damage yeah, that's, that's done to the rest of society is, is very intense. And, and even there, um, yeah, I would, I have not ever, ever energetically had anybody tell me and use that word and not felt their energy dip ever. And yeah. also some sort of shame and people try yeah. really to just yeah. own it and be proud. But like, like I've never felt that it like for a human being, because the world define you, right? They define you. And, um, and if you've defined yourself as broken, which is in essence what it is. And um, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That's huge. So let me ask you, um, I have one, one question for Jesse, and then I want to ask my final question for Peggy. So Jesse, your work, I know about it already, and it's, it's so important and valuable to people. And I'd love um, for you to just like really briefly tell a little bit about your story and, and how people can find you, because I think that where this has all brought you is, is literally changing the world. And um, I know a lot of listeners may struggle with this as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, when I was, you know, watching mom struggle with alcohol, I made a commitment. It, it was just like, it, it became something I was so afraid of. And so I didn't turn to alcohol. I was, I thought alcohol was the devil. I didn't want anything to do with it. I, you know, there would be parties I was invited to in high school. I never wanted to drink. I was like, it was, I was so afraid of it, but I turned to food and um, food became this thing that I would just numb out on. I would mentally check out and, and I didn't even know what was happening. I just, it just gave me relief when I was, I was a perfectionist. I felt like I always had to do things perfectly. It gave me this, this sense of relief. And so I just turned to it. And then it, obviously my body started changing and I started getting insecure. So I tried to restrict and I just got caught up in the cycles of, of binge, emotional, compulsive overeating, restricting and, and over exercising. And the cycles just intensified and intensified and intensified over the years. And I remember just just also feeling like I was drowning in shame and fear and like, what the heck is wrong with me? Like I would look at, you know, a, a addiction that I saw elsewhere, alcoholism, drugs, and I'm, I'm in here feeling like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just feel normal with food? Why am I feeling all this anxiety and then sneaking it? And then just, it just felt so, so shameful. And um, anyways, that, that was a 10 year journey for me. And eventually I found my way out of it. And a lot of the ways that I got out of it is very similar science that you teach. It was like all clicking and it was all making sense. And it was like, Oh my gosh, like this. And so the, the science that you share with your, with your, your students, your clients, your listeners, like this works and it's not just for, you know, for alcoholism. And so when I finally conquered this struggle myself, I went to the Institute for the psychology of eating. Cause I felt like I had to do something to help the women who are suffering in silence and this shame. Like, you know, it's like, why can't I eat normal? And so um, anyways, I got, I went through that and then I started um, doing online coaching, helping women who struggle with this. And there is so much correlation. A lot of the women who, you know, struggle with food will tell me, you know, before this, I was a drug addict or I was an alcoholic and then I turned to food and now I'm sucked into this food thing. And so, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of correlation, but just teaching them the science that just like you do is so, so empowering. And so these women are, are finding freedom. So I have a, a course, it's called the Food Freedom Masterclass and it's an online based course and um, you know, set up very similar. We have Zoom calls, we, have, we just teach them the information, we show them the science and it's just, it's so empowering. And I saw it happen for my mom and, and just the way she became empowered going through your course. And it's so cool because the same thing, you know, watching these women who struggle with food, it's the same thing, the sense of empowerment and the industry, just like alcoholism, the diet industry is set up to cause us to fail and get in these cycles. So we keep coming back to the next diet, the next diet, the next diet, and those cycles just continue to perpetuate. And when it comes to, you know, healing those struggles with, with food and body, there's a little bit of a difference because obviously we need this substance to survive and it's a beautiful thing. So it's kind of like a backdoor approach, very similar science, but we have to shift our relationship with this thing that we need. But um, yeah, so it's been a really, really cool journey. And it was just so like my heart was so filled when I heard 
Russell talk about you and it was like, oh my gosh, somebody is, this, this is the science. Somebody is, is using this for alcoholism. And I felt like God literally like just came down from heaven and was like, here's a solution for your mom. So beautiful. It gives me chills. Um, and where can people find you? Um, yeah, so um, I have a podcast. Um, I always like to direct people there because I feel like that's the best place I express um, my heart. The name of the podcast is uh, the Dear Body Podcast, and then I'm um, I'm on Instagram um, just at Jesse Jesse Jean. And I would say um, follow Jesse Jean on Instagram, especially if you're a woman. Jesse, you you post such beautiful things because what you do is you visually deconstruct um, how it is like all the all the filter and the model bs so jesse will like pose normally and then she'll like convert her body to look like a model picture and and your body is beautiful both ways but it's so different and you just feel it and you're like oh my gosh i'm having all these images put into my head but the woman who's taking that picture had to move her body in a way that was so unnatural to get that image that that's not real beauty and, and like, you just do that. And we all know that about the airbrushing thing that came out and I was like, oh my God, everything's airbrushed. And that was so empowering for us. But what you're doing with like, because social media is now where we're getting more of these images than marketing. And I love that. So it's J-E-S-S-I-J-E-A-N. So at Jesse Jean. Um, and, and, and Jesse Jean with one N was taken. So three N's, but yeah. That's- and, 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 but I'm sure. Okay. So yes, that's awesome. We'll put the, we'll put the link in the show notes as well. That's so amazing. So Peggy. Yes. My last question for you, um, and, and thank you guys. This has been like phenomenal. This has probably been the most like heartfelt and emotional podcast I have been on because so rarely do you get um, two perspectives. Oh, okay. I have to ask this last question to both of you, actually. Um, so Jesse, I would, I'm going to ask Peggy first, and I'm going to ask you. Uh, Peggy, I would love to know, what would you go back and tell yourself, tell the person who had lost her daughter or the person who was still struggling with it when her daughter was at home and had all the shame and the guilt, um, what would you tell her about life, what life is like for you now? It's bliss. It's true bliss. I wake up every day free, free in my mind, free in my heart. Uh, hey, I don't have a hangover. That's the best part. You can get up early and face the day. I want to tell people, I want to tell everyone there's hope. There's hope out there for you. And you're not alone. You are so not alone in this struggle. And I encourage you, anyone out there, to reach out to Annie or to reach out to Jesse because both of these women can help you so very much. And it's sincere. They want to help you because they understand they've both been in both sides of this spectrum. But I guess freedom to be able to look at myself in the mirror and not be ashamed of who I am and the lifestyle I'm living today and say I overcame is huge because as far as I know, I'm at least third generation of that word Um, and maybe more, I don't know, because after that they were in Finland and Sweden, but my guess is it was going on pretty good over there too. But I'm finally free and I wish I could direct many more family members because there's so many in our family that struggle with alcohol. So who's ever listening out there, there is hope. If I can do it, you can do it. Oh, and I just so want to thank Annie and Jesse so very much. That was amazing. So Jesse, I would love to hear like from your perspective, like having your mom who you wanted so desperately to help and felt powerless to help her. And then now seeing this beautiful, radiant, joyful, <laughs> blissful woman, how, what is it like for you? Oh man, it's so good. Um, it is like mom said it's bliss I feel like we have I always knew there I always knew that there was this woman inside of you but it just to be able to experience it and to to have to have memories and and it not be covered in this thing is just 
it's so rich. I feel such a deep connection with you, mom. I feel like we can laugh and we can have fun and we don't fight like we used to. And it is so fulfilling. I no longer worry. I no longer stress. I no longer wonder if you're going to be okay because I know you are okay. And, and you know, it's just so amazing to get to spend time with you and my stepdad, Andy, and just, I know that the whole family, I know we all feel it. Like we all feel just your presence, your richness and, and your life and how bubbly and alive and joyful you are. And I think it's just, it's given me, like I never was, I, I wouldn't give up on you. I just wouldn't, I could not give up on you because I loved you so much. And and I just like, I want other family members to just don't give up, like don't give up on your loved ones. So beautiful. Oh. And I, can I just say one thing? Um, Jesse, I love you more than life itself. And as of today, I'm gonna throw away my shame and guilt. And today's a new day. And you and I are just gonna walk hand in hand through this life knowing that this is a journey we've done that part of our journey now let's start the next chapter and see what that has in store for us amen okay dear i love you so much see, that's like that's peggy that's what people don't get they don't get the the, the self the beating yourself up feels like you're doing the right thing because it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm, I need to because I, I did this person wrong, but they don't get that it is a barrier right between the two of you. Yeah. It's keeping you apart. Your lack of forgiveness for yourself is keeping you apart for you to see that and, and make that declaration was just really touching and beautiful. Thank you. So, it, it is heartfelt because that, that little girl there, she's everything to me. Well, uh, but today's a new day a new dawning and here we go we just start afresh today jesse jean yeah that's right mom i love you dear Beautiful. and annie my life has changed so 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 much because of you and our family dynamics have changed and may god bless you and your family richly thank you so much Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being here. I know this is millions of people listen to this podcast unbelievably, but they do. <laughs> uh, well, to all of you out there, there is hope. It's beautiful. All right, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Love you both so much. I cannot wait to see you, Jesse, in January at, at the conference. And um, Peggy, have a wonderful day. Okay, you too, Annie. Bye-bye. Bye. Are you looking to connect with like-minded people? Sometimes maybe you feel like as someone who knows all this information from the snake in mind or the alcohol experiment that you're living in a world of muggles and people just don't speak your language. That is why I created The Exchange. The Exchange is an online community where we meet face-to-face, -face, live video calls multiple times a week with people from all over the globe just to connect, to have somewhere you are seen and you're heard and you feel less alone and really that you can give back and get the support you need. So if this sounds great to you, check it out at thisnakedmind.com backslash exchange. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.